Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts written by Dr. Luke is a continuation of his Gospel of Luke. His primary thrust is that the mission of Christ is continuing through His church and Christ is still at work. Not the work of bringing salvation, but bringing the message of salvation to the world. To seek and to save that which is lost. And that message is continuing. And Christ wants to be seen through His church, through His people. That is a profound thought when you think about that responsibility that we have as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That because Christ went back to glory and then sent the Holy Spirit down to us and He indwells us, we now are responsible to sort of project Christ, if you will, to everyone around us. In other words, people should be able to see Jesus in us. In fact, it was the early followers of Christ who were called by others Christians because they reminded them of Christ. And everywhere we go, everything we do, everything we say, we are to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. We are His church, and He wants to be seen through His people. And so in Acts chapter 1 again, we talked about the mission of Christ continuing. He talked to His followers about waiting in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And that not many days from then, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would be witnesses. And they would receive power to be witnesses. And that was the commission that He gave to His followers. And that's the main part of Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2 tonight, we are going to look at the messengers of Christ consecrated. Because again, we are going to see throughout our study of the book of Acts just how powerful a role, how necessary, how vital a role the Holy Spirit plays in the life of the church. And here what you are seeing in Acts chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit now is being poured out upon God's people. And that is why they are able to do what they do. It is through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that these messengers have the ability, the power, the resources to do the things that Christ has asked them to do. The same thing is true for us today. As we even talked about last week, whatever God has called us, commissioned us, is asking us to do, the Holy Spirit will enable us and empower us to do it. I want you to look tonight just at a couple of these verses about the Holy Spirit being poured out. First of all, in Acts 2.16, where Luke is quoting Joel and using this as a text, he says in verse 17, In the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And Luke is using 
not the total fulfillment of this prophecy, but some of it to share with the people, the audience that he's dealing with here, that this is already to a degree taking place and that the Spirit of God is being poured out. Later on, you'll notice in verse 32 of Acts 2, Luke says this, Jesus, God raised up, and we are all witnesses of it. So then exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, He has poured out what you both see and hear. You see, Luke wants to communicate that when God sent His Holy Spirit, He poured Him out on His people. The words poured out mean to bestow or distribute in large measure. In other words, Luke is reminding us that when God gives, He gives lavishly. He he doesn't hold back. And so when He gave the church, when He gave us His Holy Spirit, He didn't give Him piecemeal. He, He didn't give the Holy Spirit little bits at a time. He gave us all of His Spirit. Paul even said to the Romans in Romans 5.5 that God has poured out His love upon us in that He's given us His Holy Spirit. And I've said so many times before, and I want us all to be reminded of this, that when we became Christians and we were saved, we got all of God. God didn't get all of us. And that's what our sanctification, our spiritual growth, our maturity, our Christian life is all about. is giving God more of us. Surrendering more of our life over to Him, our Master, our Lord. It's not in trying to gain more of God. He poured out His Holy Spirit on the church. And He has poured out His Holy Spirit on us. And because He has poured out His Holy Spirit on us, again, there are several things that these messengers were able to do and that we are able to do. The first one I would like you to see tonight is that because of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, they were given ability beyond themselves. They were given ability beyond themselves. In Acts chapter 2, the first 12, 13 verses is all about these early followers having the ability to speak in tongues that they had not previously been able to speak in. And people were hearing in verse 11 the great deeds that God had done in ways they had never heard before. This is one specific example of an ability beyond themselves that they were able to do because of the Holy Spirit. And the message of God to all of us is, through my Holy Spirit, you have ability beyond yourself. When we talk about spiritual gifts, gifts that every Christian has been given... That is supernatural endowments and empowerments and enablements beyond ourselves. That's why they're called spiritual gifts. They're not natural abilities that over time we hone and, and that we get more skillful in. 
That's not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a supernatural, beyond our ability, enablement that the Holy Spirit gives to us when we become a Christian. And God certainly wants us to develop that gift over our Christian lives. Use those gifts that He's given us. The point I want to make is simply this. When we allow the Holy Spirit to take over in our lives, when we live in the Spirit, when we live with the Spirit, in fact, you'll notice here in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, all of them, because the Holy Spirit had been poured out, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. By the way, the word filled here means both to swell, literally to be swollen. They were swollen with the Spirit. It also means to burn with the Spirit. Which is one of the reasons why I think one of the emblems of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is that of fire. God wants His people to swell and burn with His Spirit. And realize that we have an ability and abilities beyond ourselves. God never wants His people to live at the level that we could live at on our own. He wants us to learn to live at a level that only we could live with Him. And His ability, His power, His enablement. That's what life in the Spirit is. And that's what was happening here in Acts chapter 2 as the Spirit was being poured out. Notice also that through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, not only were these messengers given ability beyond themselves, they were also given courage and confidence beyond themselves. Notice in Acts 2.14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Wait a minute. Peter? The same guy that just a few weeks earlier was cowering, denying that he ever knew the Lord. And now this Peter is standing up, addressing a large throng of people. That kind of courage. And then notice over in verse 29, where Peter says, Brothers, I can speak confidently to you about our forefather, David. You see the confidence and the courage in Peter. And he is simply representative as sort of the leader of this band at this point of the rest of them as well. All of them were given courage and confidence beyond themselves through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. By the way, you've probably already noticed that because we're going to take a chapter a week, There's so much in these chapters we're not going to be able to touch on. But I'm hoping that that through you coming on Tuesday or hearing this message, that you'll get back into these chapters on your own and discover so much. We could have spent a whole night just talking about Pentecost, which is when this all happened, it said back in Acts 2.1. I mean, there's just so much. The Word of God is rich, and the wealth of it untold. And you and I could dig and dig and dig and never get to the end of it all. But I just wanted to give you some words of encouragement that God laid on my heart as I meditated and studied on this passage of Scripture. 
I want you to be encouraged tonight that through the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, you can have a courage to do what you would not have the courage to do on your own. That you, through the Holy Spirit, can have a confidence to do things that you would never have the confidence to do on your own, apart from knowing that you are partnered with God. It's exactly what was happening here to the early church. The Holy Spirit was being poured out. And they were being filled up, swollen, burning with the Holy Spirit. And because of this, they had ability beyond themselves. They had courage and confidence beyond themselves. Notice something else. They had understanding and comprehension beyond themselves. They had understanding and comprehension beyond themselves. Why do I say that? Well, in Acts chapter 2, Luke quotes three Old Testament passages. Actually, it's Peter who's quoting this as he's speaking. Notice again in Acts 2.17, Peter's quoting the prophet Joel. Then over in Acts 2.25, he's quoting David out of the Psalms. Then once again in verse 34, he's quoting David out of the Psalms. And through the Holy Spirit's ministry, Peter is being able to see things and connect things and understand things and comprehend things that he never could before. He was connecting that what Joel said in the Old Testament in his Old Testament prophecy was actually connected to what was now happening. He could make that connection. Not on his own, but through the Holy Spirit helping him, aiding him, teaching him. He was able to take what David said in the Psalms and go, oh, you know what? That connects to this. That's why Jesus told his followers, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be your teacher. He ultimately will guide you into all truth. He will give you comprehension and understanding into the scriptures you could never have on your own. And you will be able to begin as a Christian to read the Word of God, to study it, to meditate on it, and begin to make connections of things and how they all fit together and how there's a continuity about the Word of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. One of the things I would encourage you to do before you read and study and have your devotions in the Word of God, is ask the Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit, to see things that on my own I couldn't see. Help me, Holy Spirit, to understand things that I on my own could not understand. Help me, Holy Spirit, to comprehend and begin to connect things in Your Word that I could not do on my own. And I guarantee you, you'll start to see great and wonderful things out of the Word of God. That's, his, that's one of His ministries towards us as believers. And you see it happening here. Remember, the disciples, even while Jesus was on earth with them, while He was their teacher, they weren't able to make these connections and have that kind of comprehension and understanding. In fact, many times, the disciples were actually arguing with Jesus. Even Peter himself was trying to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. Because he did not have that understanding and comprehension that only the indwelling Holy Spirit could bring. But here now in Acts, he and the other followers of Christ are transformed 
They're able to see things in the Word of God and make the connections that they never could before. And the same thing can be true of us as well. Also through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, notice that these followers are given opportunity to glorify Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. Jesus Himself said, look, you'll know the Holy Spirit's in charge and working when He glorifies Me. Because the Holy Spirit is not primarily coming to lift Himself up. When the Holy Spirit is at work, He will glorify Me. That's how you'll know the Holy Spirit is at work. He's not coming to testify about Himself. He's coming to testify about Me. And that's exactly what you see happening here in the early stages of Acts. Notice in verse 22 of Acts 2, Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. I want to talk to you about Jesus. A man clearly attested to you by God. Those words clearly attested mean in the Greek language to prove what kind of person he was. Jesus certainly proved what kind of person he was for 33 years that he walked the earth. With powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, this man, who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of Gentiles. Notice, it's all about Jesus. But I also want you to notice here, this isn't what this is all about. But I want you to notice something here real quick. Did you notice that from a biblical perspective, that the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man can coexist? You know, down through the ages, there's been this debate between Calvinists and Arminian and between those who believe in the sovereignty of God and those who believe in the uh, free will of man. And somehow, in their minds, they get to a, a, such an extreme that they don't believe that they can in any way coexist. But the message of the Bible is clearly, you can believe in the sovereignty of God and also believe in the responsibility of man. Because that's exactly what Peter is saying here. Yes, God predetermined and foreknew what was going to happen to Christ and how it was going to happen. But man was still responsible before God because they were all too willing to get rid of Jesus. You see, they can coexist at the same time. So then Peter goes on to say, but God raised him up having released him from the pains of death because it was not possible for the prince of life to be held in its power. By the way, two of the most important words in all the Bible that you see throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, two of the most important words, but God. Don't miss those two important words. Just like here, Peter's saying, You pronounced a verdict, a human verdict about Jesus. God had the final verdict. And in your life, there will be people who define you, seek to define you, seek to put you into their little box, seek to pass judgment on you. All those things. And this is a great reminder... But God, 
God has the final say. Not man. God had the final say in Jesus. Man decided Jesus should be killed and crucified. But God raised Him up. Don't let others have the final say. Don't even let yourself have the final say about yourself. But God, let God have that. He's the Lord. He's the Master. He's the one to whom we belong. And so they were given great opportunity to witness, to talk about Jesus. When the Holy Spirit's at work, Jesus will be exalted. Jesus will be on display. There will be opportunity to talk about Jesus. And then also, through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, these messengers also were given faith to use the Word of God. Because notice again, three times in Acts chapter 2, as Peter was speaking, he wasn't using his own words. He wasn't sharing his own opinions with the crowd that had gathered at Pentecost, which would have been a huge crowd, by the way. The three great festivals for Jews would have been Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. There would have been thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time. No, Peter went to the Scriptures. Because it's through the Holy Spirit that we have the faith to use the Word of God and understand and acknowledge that there is power. That God has literally placed an inherent power in His Word. And if we just have faith to use His Word, God will work through His Word. And that's exactly what was happening here. And let me also flip that around a little bit. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, then we will also be willing to be placed in a place where we are hearing and being exposed to the Word of God because we know God's going to use it in our lives. We have the faith to know that no matter what the passage is, no matter what the sermon series is. So you can tell the difference, I'll just use this as an example, between a Christian who's living in the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit and one who's looking at things through a fleshly lens. A Christian who's looking at things through a fleshly lens will look at, say, the, uh, what, the, what the minister or pastor is going to be speaking on and determine themselves whether they're going to get anything out of it or not. That's why topical messages are real popular in a lot of churches because it's always trying to appeal to that person that's actually looking for something that hits them just right. So I'll go and listen to that message. A person who's living in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit understands that if that teacher, that pastor, that minister is opening up the Word of God, it doesn't matter whether it's 2 Chronicles 29 or whether it's Ruth 4 or whatever it is. If it's the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is going to use it in my life. Because it's the Word of God. And I can pick any book, I can pick any passage, I can pick any chapter, I can pick any verse, and I, as a Spirit-filled Christian, can know God will speak to me and use it in my life. That's what was happening here in Acts chapter 2. They had faith not in themselves, 
but in the power of the word of God. How am I doing? Okay, I'm good. Now, through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that's what these messengers were able to do. And through the Holy Spirit living in us, that's what we can do as well. And then I want to show you this. Through the witness of these messengers, there are three things that were happening here in Acts chapter 2. First of all, through their witness, people were led to respond. People were led to respond. I'll begin reading in verse 26, or excuse me, 36 of Acts chapter 2, where Peter again is addressing the crowd. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were acutely distressed. The word means to prick or pierce. In other words, basically, they were convicted. Their heart, their conscience was pricked and pierced. The Word of God was penetrating. And they say to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Then what should we do, brothers? And Peter said to them, Repent! And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I don't have time to go into this tonight. But I will say this. For those of you that may have this question, no... Acts 2.38 is not teaching that one has to be baptized in order to be forgiven or saved. What Peter is using is a way of describing the fact that in his mind, in the early church's mind, it all went together. It was all part of the same ball of wax. Not necessarily that it happened in a particular sequence, but that it all happened together. In other words, I'll say it this way. There is no such thing in the Bible as an unbaptized Christian. Now today, you run into Christians all over the place who have not been baptized yet. But in the Bible, you can't find an unbaptized Christian. There was none. When a person accepted Christ, they were immediately baptized. They were willing to be publicly identified with God's people and with Christ. And so Peter here, by simply saying it this way, is just lumping it all together. You and I would do the same thing at times. So I hope that maybe answers some questions that might be out there. But notice what Peter is saying to this crowd. Repent. Respond reconsider how you feel and think about this Jesus. Because there was a time where you did not believe that He was the Messiah. You told Pilate, crucify Him, crucify Him. I want you now to respond to the message that you are hearing and change your mind and reconsider what you believe about Jesus. Then he goes on in verse 30 to say, For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far away, as many as the Lord God will call to Himself. Because God's always the initiator. Man is the responder. 
That's why John said, we love him because he what? First loved us. God's always the initiator. God so loved the world. God loved us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God always initiates, but he always expects man to respond. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the witness of these messengers, people are being called to respond. As a pastor, as a teacher of the Word of God, I am always conscious that as the Word of God goes out, there needs to be time for us to respond to it. That's part of why we even end our service the way we do. It gives people an opportunity to respond to what God is doing. That's always the case. If the Holy Spirit is there, if He's working, if He's moving in people, then we need to be called to respond to Him. And that's what we see happening here. In other words, Peter's saying, don't let what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart and mind go by. Repent. Respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Secondly, through the witness of these messengers, people were led to join this band of believers. Notice it says in verse 41, so those who accepted his message, and not everybody did, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added. Notice at the end of verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. By the way, in verse 47, it tells us that this early band of followers of Jesus had a habit of praising God. That word means to sing in honor of God. And having the good favor or goodwill of all the people. Those words speak about a relationship that influences. In other words, through what the Holy Spirit was doing in these early followers of Jesus, not only were people being called to respond individually, but people were being moved to join the Lord. And notice too... They weren't picking the band and the church and whatever. The Lord was the one adding to the church. And by the way, this adding to the church wasn't just to physically beef up the number of the church. That wasn't the idea. Because it's not just about being big for big's sake. The idea here is that the church then would gain advantage by every new person that was added. In other words... From God's perspective, the great thing about adding people to the church is that they bring something that nobody else brings. And therefore, the ministry of the church, the way the church functions and all that can just grow just a little bit more because this person is unique. And they have a particular set of gifts and abilities and talents and personality and everything that no other believer in that following has. And therefore, that gains, that church then has a greater advantage because of that person. Folks, that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. When God moves people to be added to a particular, say, local assembly of believers, 
He's not doing it just to beef up the physical number role. He's doing it because he's telling the church, this person can give you an advantage that you don't have. Let them in. Let them minister. Let them use their gifts. Let them use their abilities. And that's why, as a church, we should always be encouraging people to come and to get involved. Because the church only gets stronger as more people come and get involved and use what God has given them. And to show what the Holy Spirit can do through them. That's why they were added. That's why they were moved to join And they were also, again, don't forget, moved to join this band because the way these people were acting, what they were doing was attractive. It was influencing other people in a positive way. It wasn't something, this group wasn't something that they wanted to stay away from. It wasn't something that they were mocking and making fun of. It was something they wanted to be a part of and wouldn't want to miss out on being a part of it. My, how the perspective and the perception of the church has changed in 2,000 years. And I'll say this. And then I've got one more point. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. And this will lead into my last point for tonight. One of the reasons why I encourage Christians to get connected with other Christians is because of this truth that is taught in the Word of God. A significant part of the Lord's ministry to us comes through others in whom He lives. Please listen to that tonight. Not maybe for your sake, but in a conversation you may have with some other Christian who says, I don't need to be part of a church. I can live my Christian life on my own. A significant part of the Lord's ministry to us comes through others in whom Christ lives. That's why I've told you, I'm becoming who Christ wants me to be Not only because I'm open to what Christ wants to do in my life, but I'm open to what Christ wants to do in my life through you. That God is using you to shape me. And hopefully you're allowing God to use me to shape you. That's the way God wants His church to be. And that's why it just explodes the myth and the misconception of many Christians today who say, I don't need to be part of other Christians. I don't need to live my life alongside brothers and sisters. Then you miss out on a significant part of what Christ would want to do in your life because He wants to use people. Just like He wants to use you to influence and impact others. That's the difference in the early days of the church. Through the ministry of these messengers of Christ, not only were people being called to a place of responding, but they were being encouraged and even, you know, uh, given the opportunity to join and be a part of what God was doing. And God wasn't just adding to the church, as you can see, weekly, monthly, monthly, He was adding to the church every day 
Because the ministry of the church and the mindset of God's people wasn't, we just get together once a week or once every once in a while or whatever. It was, we're together. Which leads me to this final point that I better get to or I am going to run out of time. Through the witness of these messengers, people were led to invest. Invest in their own spiritual growth. Invest in other people's spiritual growth. They were led to invest in each other spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And you see that here, beginning in verse 42. Notice. They were devoting themselves. The word devoting here means, obviously, to be devoted to something it, uh, but it also means to be constant or consistent in something. Okay? What were they constant in? What were they consistent in? Well, several things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. By the way, you heard a wonderful message on prayer Sunday from Brian. These were the things they were constant in. These were the things they were consistent in. And out of that investment in their own spiritual growth and others, notice again then, they were investing also in the spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Reverential awe came over everyone. Many wonders and miracles and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. We're going to talk about one specifically next week in Acts chapter 3. All who believed were together, not apart, and held everything in common, literally loosely. That song we sing every once in a while, open hands, that was the, that was the early church's attitude. God's blessed me, but this isn't really mine. This is God's that He's given me. And if somebody else needs it more than me, then I'm willing to pass it on and share it. That was the mentality of the early church. And they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as everyone had need. Every day, they committed to gather together by common consent. These words speak about being adhered to each other, glued to each other, steadfastly attentive to one another, giving unremitting care to one another. They were invested totally in each other, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Can I say, that's hard to come by today. That's hard to come by today. And this may be the reason why. They continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts. This word humble literally means in the Greek language simplicity or singleness. In fact, this is the only time this Greek word is used in the New Testament is Acts 2, 46. The reason they were able to invest to the degree they did was because they understood the simplicity that God wanted them to live by. The singleness, the focus that God wanted them to live by. 
And when you talk about simplicity, even with Christians today, many times they immediately think downsizing. They think, you know what? My life is so busy. My life is so cluttered. My life is so hectic. And when I think about the simpler life, I think about dumping all this. But that's not primarily what the whole concept of simplicity in the Bible is all about. It's not about choosing lesser things. It's about choosing the right things. That's what simplicity is. See, God is saying, if you and I would just choose to get involved in the right things, that's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and all those other things will basically fall into line and take care of themselves. That was the secret. And notice, they were praising God and having the goodwill of all the people and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. And everything that we saw tonight that happened in Acts chapter 2 happened only because the Holy Spirit was being poured out. See, what God wants to show us clearly is the difference between a group of people who are operating in their own, on their own or in their own power, strength, wisdom, wit, all that, and those who are letting the Spirit of God take over, both corporately and individually. By the way, I want to go back real quick to verse 42. Because many Christians, when they talk about fellowship, they just think fellowship means socializing. And, and koinonia, this Greek word, this concept of fellowship is so way beyond socializing. Listen, unsaved people can get together and socialize and talk about the weather and sports and all that. That's not Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship defined by God in the Bible is where Christians get together and basically spur one another on spiritually. That, that, that you know you've had fellowship with other Christians when you come away from that fellowship encouraged and challenged and, and you feel like I'm making, I've made some progress spiritually by engaging with these people. That's what fellowship is. Because non-Christians can socialize, but only Christians who have the Spirit can fellowship. That's why the Old Testament book of Proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron. Because that's the concept God wants His people to have. That when we come together, true fellowship is where when we leave each other, we're maybe a little bit further down the road spiritually than what we were before. That's fellowship. And too many Christians today never really engage in fellowship as defined by God. They socialize, but they don't really experience fellowship. So, this chapter, I hope, will be an encouragement to you. As best I know, and I realize, I make mistakes. I'm human. I could be wrong. As I look around this room, i got to say, I'd, I'd say almost everyone that I see here and know here 
is a Christian who I believe you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And so I I would think that this chapter would be a great encouragement to you because it shows all of us the difference that the Holy Spirit can make. When we are filled with Him, when we yield to Him and when we surrender to Him, what we can do both individually and corporately and the influence and impact that we can have on others around us when we just allow the Spirit of God to take over our lives. May we as the Oasis Church continue to strive to allow the Spirit of God to rule and reign in this place. And may the Spirit of God rule and reign in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. A gift, Lord, that expresses honor. In other words, you have taught us in your word that one of the greatest ways you have honored us is by giving us the Holy Spirit of God to live within us. What an honor. What a privilege. What a responsibility. But God, you've also shared with us tonight and will also share with us on Sunday that when we begin to understand as Christians how to live with the Spirit, how to navigate life with the Spirit, oh, how different our lives can be. Both with you, with ourselves, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and even with those who do not know you. How different our life can look. So God, I pray tonight that more than anything else, that God, we will all walk away from our encounter with Acts chapter 2 and just be reminded, God, of just the difference that the Spirit of God can make in our lives. And to allow your Spirit within us to take us where He wants to take us. To do with us what He wants to do with us. Help us not to grieve or quench Your Holy Spirit in any way. And God, help us and remind us of the things beyond our own ability, of the confidence and confidence and courage beyond ourselves, of the comprehension and understanding beyond ourselves, all beyond ourselves, that can come through us relying and depending upon the Spirit of God. May we begin to live in this new, wonderful environment of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for being here. God bless you.